podcast of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. And so John writes, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I always remember this story from my preaching professor, Dr. Carl Fikencher, who got his doctorate at the Baptist Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. He was the only Lutheran that was there studying for his doctorate in preaching. And one day during seminar class, his classmates, great frustration and anxiety, were trying to think ahead to Sunday and all the coursework that they had and all the pastoral responsibilities that they had laid before them, what on earth they were going to preach. What was going to be their scriptural text? Dr. Vikensher, looking at all of them, pulled out his little Concordia Pulpit Resources calendar, said, well, this Sunday is the 15th Sunday of Pentecost, and the appointed gospel for today is Luke chapter 16, etc., etc. And everyone looked at him and said, "What, what is this magical book that tells you what scripture passage you're going to preach on, and, and how, too, can we get a hold of this magical guide? Now, it's true that Dr. Fikensher mentioned the gospel, but each Sunday we actually have three portions of Scripture that we hear from. Often, except for Easter, from the Old Testament and something else from the apostles, one of their epistles, and then always, of course, a reading from our Lord's gospel. But how does one choose amongst those three what one is going to reflect on? I also have a simple rule. Whichever one of the three gives me the most heartburn. That's the one I preach on. Because it's easy to talk about Jesus being a good shepherd, but then what do we do when we get a reading like we have today from John's epistle? It all starts out innocently enough as most chapter 3, verse 16 verses do. Right? You ever notice the most interesting passages in Scripture all seem to be chapter 3, verse 16? 1 John 3.16, John writes, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. That's the good news, right? In a nutshell. We're getting our new sign this week. We're going to talk about us being the good news place. And if somebody says, what is the good news? It is that God has sent his son to lay down his life for his wayward sheep. That's it. That's the simple message of the gospel. But then it gets trickier. As often happens with the verse 17 after the 316 verses. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes their heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Indeed, How does God's love abide in us when we close our hearts to the needs of our brothers and sisters? Now, let's be clear about what we mean when we say brother or brother and sister. We're not talking about neighbors in general. We are talking specifically about those who are part of the household of faith. Doesn't mean that we don't have passages in Scripture that talk about the love that we show for our neighbor. But in this particular text, John is talking specifically 
but the people that worship with you, the people that take the Lord's Supper together with you, the people that you stand side by side with on a Sunday or a Wednesday night or any other time and say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now, there's two words from Jesus on this point I want to share for us to think about, and a point that's picked up by Paul in his letter to the Galatians. John chapter 15, as Jesus spends his last moments with his disciples before he is arrested and handed over for trial, Jesus says this, Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is the difference, right, between the world and those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus specifically calls them out and says, you've got a new title, friends of Jesus. Remember in the Passion narrative how the Jews thought to manipulate Pontius Pilate by saying, if you do not crucify this man, then you are not Caesar's friend. That was a very special club, very special group of people that were the most closely aligned with the emperor. But now Jesus looks at his disciples and says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you my friends. And therefore you are friends with one another and ought to treat each other accordingly. Now there are times when Jesus clearly distinguishes between friends and everybody else. Two chapters later, as Jesus prays his last prayer over the disciples before his trial, he says to the Father, I am praying for these people, my friends. I am not praying for the world right now, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. There's a difference here between those outside and those who are Christ's. Paul then summarizes it really well in the sixth chapter of Galatians. When he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Not saying that we're mean to everybody else and then nice to everybody in the church. Paul's very clear on this, so is Jesus. But he says there is a special burden laid on us that we might love one another. We are speaking specifically of fellow members of Christ in 1 John chapter 3, 16 and 17 and 18. But that doesn't actually make it better, does it? Still makes it awfully tough. It's one thing to say, well, okay, you don't have to worry about everybody out there. But it's another thing to say, well, but you still do need to show love and concern for the bodily existence and life and welfare of the people who share the name of Christ with you. Laying down your life is never easy or never fun, even for the people that are your friends, even for the people that are your brothers and sisters in Christ. If we've learned anything during this pandemic, and I I hope we've learned some things, 
I think we have learned just how difficult this laying down your life for others business is and how tedious and how annoying and how much we very much like to lay it aside and be over with it. Certainly, there are people that have protested certain health measures that are out there because they're not going to help our neighbors. So I'm not talking about them right now. For example, the police officers in Ontario and even the doctors in Ontario who have said that the new regulations that Premier Ford tried to put in place are not actually going to help anybody. But I am talking about the countless people amongst whom we have even sometimes found ourselves who, let's be honest, don't want any of these restrictions that cause a personal hardship to ourselves. I don't want to have to wear a mask. It's annoying. It's hard to breathe. Got to keep them clean. Forget to bring mine all the time. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I don't want to have to distance from people. I want to be able to greet people on the way out of church. I want to be able to shake people's hands, give them a hug again, especially when I think of this afternoon, when we're meeting together as people who are grieving. I don't want to have to do any of this stuff anymore. I'm sick of it. Hand sanitizer all the time. Just ask Olivia how sick the people are of her school, of having to wear masks, of having to socially distance. Most of them have frankly just given up, don't want to do it anymore. And I'm not exempt from this group. I am not up here preaching to you as if somehow I'm the one who has been so good about all this. You all got to hear on Wednesday night at Bible study, frankly, how sick I am of Zoom. I'm tired of Zoom. Tired of looking at people over a screen, speaking to them through a microphone, listening to them through headphones. I want to actually be able to look people in the face and share with them God's word, mano a mano, person to person. We would rather not lay down our lives for anyone unless it's ourselves. But John goes on to write, little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Pretty clear. It is just not enough to hear Jesus' word, love one another as I have loved you. He is encouraging us to put it into practice. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's good to hear. It's better to do. But brothers and sisters, what are we going to do when our love for each other fails? What are we going to do when we're tired of the sacrifice? And we just don't want to have to do it anymore. What are we going to do when we deal with compassion fatigue, which my missionaries, especially those responding to disasters, face all the time? When you're giving and giving and giving and you come to the point where you just don't want to give anymore. And you stop caring. In the words of John, what shall we do when our hearts condemn us? Where then do we find the good news? Well, the good news comes in verse 20. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Now, that might sound to you like bad news. 
kind of like Santa Claus is watching you. He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake, right? You better watch out. You better not cry. It can sound like that. God knows everything. He knows what you were thinking about last night. He knows what you wrote on Facebook two days ago. He knows what you wanted to say to your colleague the other day. When Corey Hart wrote his song years ago, 92 Days of Rain, he talked about God looking back in anger at the roads we chose. But for us who are called little children, for us who are Christians, for us who know God in his son who has died for us as a good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep, this business of God being greater than our heart and knowing everything is actually not bad news, but good news. It is great news because Jesus is our good shepherd and we are his sheep. And a good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows their frailties. He knows their failings. He knows their fatigues. He knows when they're at the end of their rope. And he knows then to throw just a little bit more rope so they can keep going. God does not stand back and watch and know everything in order to condemn us. He knows our hearts, and therefore he came into the world precisely to save us. We have confidence before God, John writes, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. God is not some monolithic entity out there, but the Father who has saved us by his Son and who lives in us by his Spirit, a God who is willing to do those things for his fallen creatures, is a God who is here to save, not just to condemn. Ascension Lutheran Church this little tiny Christian community in the midst of this great Canadian city, this little tiny flock of the Good Shepherd, has chosen to take what little offerings that we have and put them towards a deaconess. Put them towards somebody who is dedicated to serving other people in love, not just within this community, but all the way outside it to reach out to those who do not know God as the good shepherd so they might become part of his one flock. We've chosen to do that rather than using those offerings just for ourselves, using them just for a pastor, using them just to maintain the building. We have chosen to put our focus on the love that God has encouraged us to show to one another and to those who do not know God as their father, and therefore do not know themselves as his little children. Wilhelm Leahy wrote a little piece called The True Deaconess Spirit, which you will no doubt hear again soon, probably in the fall, where he wrote, What is my want? I want to serve. Whom do I want to serve? the Lord in his wretched ones and his poor. 
And what is my reward? I serve neither for reward nor thanks, but out of gratitude and love. My reward is that I am permitted to serve. It might seem like John is laying an incredibly heavy burden, a large yoke on each and every one of us when he calls upon us to love each other in word and deed and not, or in action and truth, not just in word and deed. But what John is in fact doing is preparing us to be who we already are, which is what we talked about last week. And who are we in Christ? Little children of the Heavenly Father, sheep of the Good Shepherd, bought by the blood and love of Christ, who first choose to serve rather than to be served. A Lord who first gave his life as a ransom for you and for me before he ever suggested we lay down our lives for others. And what kind of children does such a Lord have? What kind of sheep does such a good shepherd have? Children who love not just in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Because that is precisely what Jesus does for you and for me every single day. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Good Shepherd. Amen. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.